20, verse 7. You can also go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how evil we're getting. There's a magazine, very popular magazine called Cosmopolitan. Anybody ever heard of Cosmopolitan magazine? They just published an article telling people where to go. They named the place where you could have a satanic ritual abortion. It's got the god Baphomet, a satanic god. Goes you step by step and tells you how not just to have an abortion. How to have a satanic ritual abortion at this place. That's the world that we're living in. And the Bible says that it's going to get so evil we're going to be saying, come quickly, Lord. I don't want to be so in love with everything down here that's going to burn up. I want to lay up treasures on that other side where moth and dust can't corrupt it, rust can't corrupt it. Hey, friend, God's getting ready to come back. Amen? Amen. The only way we're going to make it to the other side is we got to have that relationship with the Lord. I don't know if I'll finish this today, but we're going to get started. The Bible says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless, that taketh his name in vain. I'm going to read another translation. It says, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Now, this is Old Testament. Okay, now, where we're at, we got to find out the name. So verse 18 of Matthew 1, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. That tells us that the Holy Ghost is the Father, right? Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." I want to just preach for a little while this morning. I got a lot of information I want to convey on the importance of the name of Jesus. The importance of the name of Jesus. Lift your hands this morning and let's love the Lord together. Father, we need you today. We need that touch of the Holy Ghost. We need the revelation that comes only by the Spirit of God. I'm asking Holy Ghost that you would minister to somebody's heart today. Draw us closer to you in Jesus' name. Can we lift our hair, clap our hands unto the Lord? Amen. Lord bless you as you're seated. If I may, I want to start with something I found rather humorous. There was an author named Paul Dickinson. And he wrote a, a book, and the name of the book... Is called Names. It's the title of the book. And he had developed a hobby of collecting unusual names, true names, real names, but just unusual. And some of these names turned out to be prophetic. Now, this is not made up. These were real names and real events that happened. Two men that were executed in Florida's electric chair were named Will Burn and Frizzle. True story. A Montreal window washer who fell to his death was named Will Drop. True story. 
man whose name was Joe Bunt later became a baseball coach for his life. Jeff Treadwell became a podiatrist. Dan Druff became a barber. Two police officers who became partners were named Go Forth and Catch Chum. O'Neill and Prey became business partners in a church equipment business. And a plaster contractor, his name was Will Crumble. We could put a lot of thought in a name. And there, were, there was a time when naming somebody carried a lot of weight, especially throughout biblical times. That's why the story of John the Baptist is such a remarkable story because when, when his father went into that temple and was performing his duties, the angel of the Lord came out there and struck him as a mute and he could not talk. Now what's the significance of this? It was expected that his child was going to carry on his name. And so when the time came to name the child, he wrote it down, what he was supposed to name the child, John. And when he wrote down the name of John, immediately his tongue was loosed and he could speak. It was God's way of preventing him from altering the destiny of John by getting him to follow in his father's footsteps and take on that name. And so there's a lot that goes into a name. Why is God so sensitive about his name? Now keep in mind, I'm using the word God, but God is not a name because God is a spirit. Okay, but all throughout the Old Testament, I'm going to show you that God revealed parts of his identity through various names. Your, your name represents three things. The first is your reputation. I could call a name right now, Adolf Hitler. You don't think about anything, but he was a tyrant. His reputation comes to mind. And when you hear of somebody's name in your life, you don't think about, oh, they're a good dresser. Oh, I like their house. The first thing is their reputation. That's why we've heard the phrase, he's making a name for himself. Or he's got a good name. Or he's got a bad name. Is we are basing his name, we're tying his name to his reputation. So your reputation represents, or your name represents your reputation. Secondly, it represents your character. Now these are two different things. What you are cannot be separated from what your name is once they are identified together. That's why God gave Abram, Abraham. Sarai, Sarah. Jacob, Israel. It's because he understood the work that I have to do in them is going to, or with them and through them is going to require a name change. So your character. And finally, your, thought, your authority. If you were, your name represents your authority. If, if you were stopped, pulled over by someone in plain clothing, and told that you were given, going to be given a citation for speeding, and they were just in a normal car, you wouldn't take it serious because you don't know who they are. But when they walk up and identify themselves as a police officer, their name represents their authority, officer so-and-so. And so your name represents your reputation, it represents your character, and it represents your authority. And when you misuse God's name, you defame his reputation. 
his character, his authority, because you are not reverencing his name. And there's many other ways to misuse his name other than just swearing. I'm not talking necessarily about swearing. And I'm going to get into this, that there's all types of ways that we may not even recognize what we're doing when we are misusing his name. So how do we know the name of God? Now, y'all are going to have to stay with me this morning because this is going to get chest weight or deep. Just stay with me. There's many compound names of God in the Old Testament. There's Jehovah Elohim, which means the Lord our Creator. There's Jehovah Elyam, the Lord Most High God, the owner. Jehovah Adonai, the Lord, the Master. Jehovah El Olom, the Lord, the Everlasting. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, the Provider. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, the Healer. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, the Banner. Jehovah Makedeshkim, the Lord, our sanctification. Y'all thinking I'm Hebrew here. The Lord Shalom, or Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. Jehovah Shaphat, the Lord, the judge. Jehovah Sabbath, the Lord of hosts. Jehovah Zidkanu, the Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah Rab, the Lord, the shepherd. Jehovah Elyon, the Lord, the blesser. Jehovah Hasenu, the Lord, the maker. Jehovah Gabor, the Lord, the mighty. Jehovah, the Lord, the Jehovah. Jehovah Shema, the Lord, the ever-present. And so every compound name represented an attribute of God. But not the entirety of God. You with me? And it was given line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. God did not show Abraham every compound name. He didn't show him all those attributes. These are all revealed throughout the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, God used several names to refer to himself. And I want to mention uh, two probably of most important ones. God first revealed his name to Moses at Mount Horeb when he called him to be Israel's deliverer. You remember the burning bush? Uh, take off your shoes. He said, Lord, who do, I, who do I tell them sent me? And this was a big deal to Moses because he left Egypt because he murdered someone and word got out. And so he ran fearful of his life because he made a mistake. And he goes into the wilderness Runs away from everything that he knew. you got to remember, he was raised in a palace. He was raised in the wealthiest of wealthy. And so to go to change dynamics from the palace to the wilderness was a big change. The Bible says that he would chose rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to live and enjoy the pleasures of what he, was, what he grew up in. So he goes 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years is a long time. That just happened to fit right there where I said it. It's the first time I ever preached as a 40-year-old. And so God says, he said, Lord, who do I tell them sent me? I'm going to be going back into this whole world that I've done lost my identity. And the Lord says, I am that I am, which means Ayah, Asher, Ayah. It was the most, those three words were the most original form spoken to Moses. It refers to God being the eternal and self-existent one who was omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. But it's also a Hebrew idiom meaning when you get there, I will be there. So we're looking at it, I am that I am. But Moses understood the true meaning of that phrase. It meant, when you get there, Moses, I'll already be there. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about you going by yourself, Moses. 
I'm already going to be there. And so God encouraged him. I will always be what you need me to be. And I'll always be there before you get there. Another important Old Testament name for God was Y-H-W-H, which came from the four Hebrew consonants, Yod, He, Vav, He, in Hebrew, and was thus it was called the Tetragrammation. So to actually translate this name into English, we would probably say the Eternal. The closest we can come in pronouncing this name, y'all got to catch this, is Yahweh or Yah. But it's actually Y-H-W-H. No consonants. Or no vowels, rather. It's the English form of Jehovah or Jah. And so the Jews had such a reverence for the name of God that they would not pronounce it as it was written. Instead, they called it Shamha Mepharash or the infallible name and would substitute that word for Adonai, which is Lord, or Hashem, which is the name, when they referred to it. When they would see those letters that would represent what we know as Yahweh, they had such a reverence for that name that they wouldn't even say it. They would use Adonai or Hashem, which referencing the name. So the Jews, after returning from Babylonian captivity, which was around 450 B.C., they began to reverence the name Yahweh so greatly that they totally outlawed the use of that name for the common people. And then later, even for the priest, they could not say Yahweh. Finally, only one, only the high priest was allowed to say it, only on the Day of Atonement, once a year. When Simon, who was the last high priest, he, he, he was the last high priest to per, permitted to use it, he died in 270 B.C. And they instituted a total prohibition against saying the name among the Jews. Could not say Yahweh could only say Adonai. That became the substitute word for the name of God. Y'all still with me? This is very important. Remember what I told you, the, the consonants, Y-H-W-H, where we get our word Yahweh. But God's commandment was not against pronouncing his name. His commandment, was against misusing the name. And so, remember, 270 B.C. was when the last time that was used. And then that came into effect a total prohibition against using that, the, the name Yahweh. had to be Adonai. And so by the time Jesus comes, the Jews had not heard the proper name Yahweh, of the God they were serving for over 300 years. All they had heard was Adonai. Never. 300, think of how many Jews had been born in a 300-year period. A lot of people that did not know the proper name for God. So in the New Testament, God accompanied the revelation of himself in flesh with a new name. That name is Jesus, which includes and supersedes the name of Yahweh and every 
compound name that was revealed because the name of Jesus is the redemptive name of God in the New Testament. When you think of every Jehovah Jireh, that's not a redemptive name. Jehovah Zidkanu, it's not a redemptive name. Every compound name that I said has no redemptive value. But when the name of Jesus was introduced to humanity, it holds within itself a redemptive nature. It's a powerful name. It's an authoritative name. It's a saving name. It's the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. Paul said in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the first, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist and he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in all things he might have the preeminence for it pleased the father that in him should all fullness dwell this is why Paul said in Colossians 2 and 9 for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and ye are come Complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Why don't we take a moment and worship and praise that name. Oh, hallelujah. So all throughout the Old Testament, you have all of these compound names. But there's only one compound name revealed in the New Testament. In Hebrew, it's Jehovah, Jehoshua, Messiah. In Greek, it's Kairos, Lesau, Christos. In English, Lord Jesus Christ. It's the final name to be revealed to humanity. Re- describing that he is king of kings, he's lord of lords, and when you say that name, he's going to be your healer, he's going to be your provider, he's going to be your peace, he's going to be your banner. But watch what it means. Jesus is the Greek form of Yahshua, where we get Joshua, and it literally means Yahweh is salvation. Because there hadn't been a a name for salvation all throughout the history of humanity. But now we have a name for a Savior. Remember why H-W-H, Yahweh, Isaiah 45 22, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. It's a prophetic word. For I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself. The word is gone out of my mouth and righteousness and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear or confess. It's a prophetic word that Yahweh is speaking of himself. But we jump to the New Testament in speaking of the name Jesus and it says that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yahweh, Jesus, one and the same. Suddenly we find a carpenter from Nazareth is casually referring or using the unutterable name of God. 
remember, over 300 years. And that name, Y-W, whatever I said, Y-A-H-W-H, had not been used. And now, Yahweh, here's a man saying, I am Yahweh. But he had a right to use God's name because he was God. The Jewish religious leaders were outraged. They understood who Jesus was claiming to be. Now think about it. That'd be like somebody walking in here saying, I'm, I'm the Lord. We would start guessing what they were smoking. That's about how they felt in that day for someone to walk on the scene claiming to be the Messiah. The phrase I am in Greek is ego ima, appearing to us just as another pronoun and verb identified him to them as Yahweh. Remember, what did he tell Moses? I am. And so, I am, Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. John 8 and 12, I am the light of the world. John 10 and 9, I am the door. John 10 and 11, I am the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 8, 24, if ye believe not that I am, ye shall die in your sins. John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. John 18 and 5, to the soldiers arresting him, Jesus saith unto them, I am he. As soon as they, as soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground, Scripture says. Mark 14 and 62, to the high priest at his trial, Jesus said, I am, and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Constantly, I am, I am. Sounds a lot like what he told Moses, I am, I am. And so the Sanhedrin council was enraged. They rushed him to Pilate forced him to carry out an execution through political pressure. Pilate is powerless to save the Nazarene, even though he wants to. But in an unusual move, Pilate himself writes an inscription and has it placed on the cross above Jesus. John 19 and 19 says, And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Verse 20, This title then read, Many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Verse 21, then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. In three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, it said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Just another epitaph to the Greeks and to the Romans. But as many of the Jews begin to gather and read the inscriptions, the chief priests see that they have a problem. Literally, what Pilate was saying 
was what I have written, I will not change one bit. It's fixing to all make sense. But what was the problem that was upsetting the scholars of the law? These were scholars. These were people that studied the law, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Much Old Testament poetic literature was written in what is called acrostic form, which made it easier to memorize. It's not nearly the amount of letters that we have in our English language. And in Psalm 119, there's 22 sections in Psalm 119. And each section is labeled by one letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And each of the eight verses in that section start with that letter. In the book of Lamentations, each of the chapters is a poem with a similar pattern. So written over Jesus' head was Yeshua Hanazarah Melech Hayedahim. All the Jewish leaders could see was a condemning acrostic as the first letter of each word, Yod, Head, Vav, He, spelled out Y. H V H for everybody to see that it was not a carpenter's blood that was being shed that day, but it was literally Yahweh's blood being shed for all of humanity. My friend, God's name is Jesus Christ. He is Yahweh. He has become our salvation. It wasn't just somebody normal dying on that tree. It was the King of kings for you and I that we could be here today and be saved his name is so important we don't understand we're Gentiles we don't understand the magnitude of the name Jesus we, we don't understand what it's like to have a name that is so valuable and it's used flippantly. I want to, real quickly, I, I'm watching the time. I want to I share with you five names, five ways that people misuse the name of God. First, they'll use God's name to insult. This is probably one of the most common ways where it's attached to a profanity or a swearing. And, and I cringe, cringe when this happens. In fact, the U.S. and Canada are probably some of the most foul-mouthed nations in all of the world. And the most well-known Garbage mouths in our society are comedians who are literally paid and use God's name flippantly to make people laugh when they mix it with curse words. How irreverent using his name in that manner. In fact, I've often said people who swear lack a good vocabulary. They lack emotional control and maturity because swearing takes no intellect. You could teach a three-year-old or a parrot to swear. But a mature person should be able to harness their words. I read a funny thing. A farmer was late getting home for dinner. His wife asked, did the wagon break down? He said, no. On the way home, I offered a ride to the minister. From that point on, the mules didn't understand a thing I said. People use God's name to insult, but they also use his name 
to indulge. This is when we excuse our actions by blaming God for them instead of taking personal uh, responsibility. It sounds like this. Well, I felt led to do such and such. Was that really God? People say, well, God will let me know if he wants me to do that or he don't want me to do that. Now, I want to clarify something. I fully believe we ought to pray about things. But not use God's name to justify us doing what we want to do when it's really not even His will. I know a person one time told me, well, I, I've been praying for this, so I feel like it's the Lord. But what they were telling me that they were going to do violated Scripture. God's not going to tell you to do something that contradicts His Word and is a sin. That's like praying for a financial blessing and saying, I feel led to, led to rob a bank. God didn't tell you to rob a bank. I mean, so don't let's not use God as an out for wrong behavior. That's an insult to his name. And, and, and you're just indulging. When we claim God's approval on something that is clearly not his will. We're breaking the third commandment. Leviticus 19 and 12, one version says, Do not make a promise in my name. If you don't intend to keep it, that brings disgrace to my name. That's just, In other words, don't use my name the wrong way to excuse bad behavior. The Foundry United Methodist Church in Washington, D.C. became famous when First Lady Hillary Rodham Clinton chose it to be the first family's Washington church home. They boasted that they were a reconciling congregation. And Pastor J. Philip Wagaman welcomes practicing homosexuals into all aspects of the church's life without offering any help in changing their pattern of behavior. PFLAG, which is an organization that promotes the acceptance of homosexual behavior, has a chapter that meets there. The infamous bishop of the Newark, New Jersey, Diocese of the Episcopal Church, once spoke at Foundry suggesting that Jesus could have been a drag queen, that the apostle Paul may have been a self-loathing gay man, and that the Ten Commandments are immoral because they treat women as property. On Reconciling Sunday, banners incorporating symbols of militant homosexual political movements blended with crosses and doves hang in front of the altar area. This attempt to co-op God's blessing and apply it to behavior clearly condemned in the Word of God is an abuse of His name. God does not condone that. Listen, I've said it many, many times. Our arms are open to whosoever will. And there's people that have problems in private, and there's people that have problems in public. And the church is all about come as you are. But it's not about stay as you are. We ought to be striving to become more like Christ, which means we align with his word and our behavior has to change to match his word. You just keep watching. The Christian culture, not the church. God's got one church. The Christian culture, in an attempt to be non-offensive and politically correct, is going to start accepting more and more and more and more. And pretty soon, there will be no line of demarcation between the world and the Christian culture. Because what did the Bible say? In the last days, many will be offended. You can't do anything without offending somebody. 
I'm offended because they're offended. Everybody's offended. It's just a big offended party. And it doesn't matter what you do. You got to walk on eggshells. And so everything's about politics and blending. And we, we can't upset them. And we got to do this. We got. That's the day in which we're living in. But you can't compromise what is right and what is wrong because you don't want to offend somebody. There's only one truth, and that's this book right here. Amen? Hey, third way. People use God's name to intimidate. This is, if I could say, famous by TV evangelist. I just feel like the Lord wants you to write that check for $50 million right now. And everything's about what the Lord wants you to do. And, it, and they abuse. They're trying to use His name to pressure and to intimidate. They'll go buy these bottles of water, take the label off and put their own label. Sell it for 20 I'll, I'll mail you this bottle of water that I poured, prayed over for your offering. They do all that kind of stuff. And it's a cash cow. I'm going to say it. I wasn't going to say it, but I'm going to say it. I know of a preacher. you got to remember what I'm fixing to say. Men are men. Period. So I'm not condoning, but this came, another pastor told me, the, the pastor of that church. So this is not some member in the congregation, I put stock in it because it came from the pastor. And he's the only one that would know what I'm fixing to tell you. He got up there, this evangelist. He said, I feel like the Lord wants me to pay off my motor home. So I'm going to take up an offering. All right. Now I'm talking four or five hundred people at this church. The pastor said, we took up $83,000, and he said, I gave them every penny, but I never had them back. Now, I'm not going to say the Lord didn't talk to him. You can sell a motorhome. That's playing in a way. And there's legitimate needs. I'm not saying there's no legitimate needs. If that was, I got a hospital bill. That hey, I've been in situations where I didn't say a word, but the Lord moved on the pastor when I was an evangelist, and he felt that, that I needed an offering, and God met a need, a, a legitimate. I was in a bind-type need. So I'm not, I'm not condemning taking up an offering as being led by the Spirit. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But an $83,000 motorhome, we're talking about a whole different ball game here, okay? And you can, I'm very, very careful about using the name of the Lord to influence somebody. Because a person should have a healthy fear of the Lord and respect for his name. But let me tell you where people get in trouble is they abuse it because they like power. They abuse it because they like to control and to influence. I don't need to tell you what color car to buy. Okay? I don't need to tell you where to go eat. I don't need to control you. I got enough trying to get myself to heaven. There's Now, I'm here. I'll pray as I feel led of the Lord, but... God gave you the Holy Ghost, too, to make sound biblical decisions based on His Word. Amen? I don't want to exert authority over you in the name of the Lord to try to get you to be a robot of what I want you to do. That's not how this thing's supposed to work. You're supposed to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're supposed to mature. And in, in, in 10 years, you ought not be struggling with the same thing as you was when you was a new convert because you grew in God. Amen. I'm trying to hurry. I'm skipping a lot. They use God's name, fourth way, to impress. This is when we try to prove how spiritual we are with religious jargon and cliches. 
turning God into something that we just we brag about. We take God's name in vain when we claim to be committed to him, but we don't back it up with our lifestyle. And Titus says such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are despicable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything Don't try to impress people by trying to portray something that you're not. You back it up. You back it up with how you live. Finally, they use God's name impulsively. This is when we use God's name without thinking as a convenient expression of fear or anger or joy or amazement or surprise. And basically, we're treating the name of God and putting it on the same level as wow. Or, man, I can't believe that. As an expression. Instead of a reverence name. God says you take my name seriously. Take it seriously. The Bible says, when you pray, one translation of Matthew 6 Don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered only by repeating their words again and again. It was the practice in in that day for pagans to just simply almost repeat the same stuff over and over, becoming a ritual. I was with a guy one day, had a little boy, and that boy just said, Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. And you could tell he has reached right here. And he said, Brother... I counted one day on a, so many minutes on the way home. He said it 70-something times. Dad, 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 dad. You think about it. If all you do is go to pray and you say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you're trying to fill time but not really praying. God's going, yes, 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 yes. I'm here. Talk to me. Pray. Open up. But what happens is we only think we're praying if we're talking. But that's not true. There's times you may just feel a just a a a, a reverence and a soberness, and you just sit and meditate. Just thinking about Scripture and thinking about God and thinking about His name. Does it, you're just as, you're praying just as much there as if you were saying something. Amen. Stand with me as our musicians come. I've missed a whole lot, but I was trying to cram all this in in one message. So how do we use His name correctly? You reverence His name continually. We must treat that name. That when they were translating the King James Bible, when they got to his name, they would literally stop, put a pen, the pen down, the writing utensil. They would get a brand new one. They'd write the name. Then they would discard it. They reverenced it that much, his name. We've got to reverence that name. We can't just sit by and let it be blasphemed. We've got to represent represent his name clearly. Your lifestyle can either represent it in a good way or a bad way. I've seen people, I'll never go to that church because of so-and-so. I used to work with them. And if that church is like them, I don't want nothing to do with it. That's a poor representation of the name of Jesus. It ought to be, hey, I know that person. If being a Christian is like that, I want to be a Christian. The Bible says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. There are two reasons why many people never come to Christ. They never met a Christian or they met one who was Christian in name only. Finally, we've got to rely on his name completely. 
Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Because we don't have the right to pray in any other name than His name. Why do we baptize in Jesus' name? Because there is salvation in no other name. And Paul said in Colossians 3.17, Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And Peter said in Acts 4 and 12, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. When you come down here and you repent of your sins, asking God to forgive you, I could take you to that water and I could call my name over you and it would do absolutely nothing in the spirit world. I could say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost and only call titles and do nothing. There's only one name that can remit sin. And when that name of Jesus is called over you as you go under that water, then in heaven's eyes, all of your sin is washed away. And you lift your hands at an altar and you begin to pray, saying, I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. Then the Holy Ghost is going to move on you and you begin to speak in other tongues as God gives you the ability because He filled you with His Spirit. Friend, nothing else can do that except the name of Jesus. We ought to be thankful today. We ought to be thankful. If you need healing, you can come to this altar and you can begin to pray and call on the name of Jesus. And it's the name of Jesus that brings healing. If you need peace in your mind today, you can call on the name of Jesus and the peace speaker will speak that peace into that troubled mind. It doesn't matter what you need today. I'm inviting you right now. These altars are open to come to this altar and call upon the name of Jesus. I'm telling you there ought not be a person today that doesn't need something that says, I'm going to that altar because everything I need, it's at that altar today.